Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Oh, let me talk to you. Yeah, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pad, where does everybody go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website, sign up for all the social media accounts. Everything's updated. Everything's ready to rock and roll. So we definitely like to talk to everybody in between shows. See you the temp in the room. See how your vibe is with everything that we have discussed on the show. And then some ideas what we're going to be talking about for next week's show because that's what we do. Also, make sure to check out the T Public Store link. A lot of stuff has been picking up lately. So you definitely want to make sure you're checking out and keep an eye out for a sale coming up. You never know when that's going to be dropping. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Also, make sure to check out the Patreon link. Uh, one tier, $2 a month. The link is right there. And definitely a little bonus content is always on the way. The blog section where we have a lot of reviews happening right now. So uh, you want to stay tuned for that. The directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 104,000. Sounds about right to me. I don't keep track. Pat is a statistician about that like nobody else. Also, you got to check out the classified section, which has friends of the show such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, which is blowing up right now on YouTube, and so many more. The music section where you can hear the bands that you hear on the show each and every week, like Brian Wolf and the Howlers. And you can also hear Shout at the Robots, Tom Jolu, Floodlands. The list goes on and on and on. Basically, if it's anything and everything that it is, the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the ODPH this week, we have to say goodbye for now to one of the biggest hits in recent memory for Disney Plus and Star Wars fans. Mm Mm-hmm. Ever since it was announced, the show involving one of the most famous characters out of Star Wars Rebels has finally made the transition to live action, Mm -hmm. and the anticipation has been building to finally we had the first season of Star Wars Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. And Rosario Dawson playing the title role has definitely captivated fans' attention since day one. Seven episodes down, one more left to go, and a lot has been going on. Pad, how has your reaction been to the entire series thus far? Uh, Listen, the live action stuff for me has been very hit or miss. You know, uh, Mandalorian's been a mixed bag. Mostly good, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's only been a couple of spots, I would say, that it's been a miss for me. Sure. Book of Boba Fett, same, you know, but more misses than hits for me. Andor, I I know, is high on some people's list. You know, for me, not so much. Uh, but for the live action stuff they've done in this kind of Mandoverse, if you will, I love it. Uh, is it's top of the list. You know, it's it's been such a fun watch. It's been such a deep cut and kind of a love letter to Clone Wars fans who have been watching. You know, Ahsoka essentially grow up. You know, from her debut on the film way back when, in you know two thousand nine, two thousand ten, whatever it was. You know, to 
you know, watching the Clone Wars, which ironically, this season finale of this episode was on the, I believe it was 15th anniversary of the Clone Wars debuting on TV. Interesting. Weird how that timed out, Mm -hmm. you know, but then, you know, with the question of is she alive? Is she dead? What happened with Order 66? And then, you know, going to Rebels and finding out, oh, okay, she survived and you know, getting everything filled in. It's it's been a roller coaster of a ride, but for me, you know, Ahsoka's been top of the top of the mountain. You know, it it's been home run after home run after home run, and it's been the best storytelling they've done. You know, with, with these shows. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, this show has really hit the ground running. I don't think that they ever had a hiccup episode. Mm-hmm. You know, where it, it kind of d- goes off track and it doesn't really mesh with the rest of the series. And like you touched upon, I think uh, Mandalorians had that happen a couple times. Not too many, but there has been a couple episodes that have done that. Mm-hmm. Book of Boba Fett, very polarizing amongst some fans, but you know me, I love that show. Mm-hmm. And then to go to where we are now is really been what fans have been waiting for. I mean, let's be honest about mm-hmm. it. Andor has been there, but... It, it, it took too long for me. It took too long, and plus, we all know that the shelf life on it is there. It's mm-hmm. two It's two seasons. So right. it, you kind of have to put that into perspective in comparison to the other shows because mm-hmm. everything else, the door is more or less wide open. Right. And with this one, especially with how popular Ahsoka is and her history in the Star Wars lore, mm-hmm. seeing the live action come to life, no pun intended, mm-hmm. has been a very, very great experience for fans. Yeah. But this is also with Dave Filoni leading the charge. Yes. And if you don't know who Dave Filoni is, Pat, how would you describe him? So Dave Filoni first got his break. I want to give a little backstory. He first got his break into kind of the animation sphere. He directed a couple episodes of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender on uh, Nickelodeon. Okay. Fantastic episodes. Uh, Shortly after... Uh, or, you know, in the middle of the run they were doing for season one of Avatar The Last Airbender, he got the job offer from uh, Lucasfilm because at that point Disney hadn't owned Lucasfilm yet. So he got the he got the job off from Lucasfilm. Like, hey, do you want to come over and be like the main director, executive producer, you know, whatever job title it is for uh, a, a project we're working on over here? And him being a big Star Wars guy, you know, he, he tells the story way better than I can. But he thought the guys and girls down, down the hallway who were working on SpongeBob were pulling his leg. Because hmm. it was all in the same building that they were working on, on Avatar and SpongeBob together. Right. So he, got, he broke off there and he got his start into Star Wars, you know, with this animated series called Clone Wars, which admittedly the movie is like the lowest grossing Star Wars movie of all time. Like, there's no shame about it. You know, he's even joked, like, listen, why would they ever give the guy who made the lowest grossing Star Wars movie of all time another movie? I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, you know. But but it, when you look at the movie, it's essentially like two or three episodes stitched together to look like a movie. You know, but he learned from the feet of George Lucas. George Lucas, this was one of the last things, you know, before he sold uh, Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm off and Star Wars off and everything that came with it to Disney. He had his hands in on it. He helped create Ahsoka. He helped make a lot of the decisions that were involved in this and kind of shaped the way things went. And so Dave Filoni is the greatest storyteller in Star Wars <clears throat> today just because he learned from the foot of the master. He's the apprentice, you know, who, le- who learned at the feet, you know, and, and when he when I see his name on a writing credit for an episode of Star Wars or a directing credit for something Star Wars, I go, OK, this is going to be good mm-hmm. because he's got that level of just 
he's he's built that level of trust with me just from you know the seven seasons of Clone Wars and then the three three four seasons of Rebels and and the stuff he's done with Mandalorian and everything else and I'm like all right listen this guy has done very little wrong couple of misses admittedly you know with Clone Wars not every episode of Clone Wars is a hit but the stuff he he himself has worked on is just some of the best stuff so and I really think that comes from learning at the feet of, of George Lucas. Yeah, he's definitely really understood how to tell a great Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. And it is, and I know this might sound weird to some, but that is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. But whenever Filoni is there, it's in comparison to like your favorite comic writer, like yeah. you know a Scott Snyder or a James Ty- uh jumping on a book. You if, know, if, you know what to expect. If you don't understand what I'm saying about why why Dave Filoni gets it, there's a gonna be. You can find a clip on YouTube. It's from I believe it's the making of series they did for like the first season of Mandalorian I think it was where Dave Filoni explains what Duel of the Fates means mm-hmm. it, it, it's not just the title of a track on on the Phantom Menace soundtrack and it's not just the title or, or like a phrase to explain oh it's good versus evil like he goes so deep into it and really like opened my eyes to it. I'm like holy you know I never thought of it that way that he just gets it on such a deep level and is thinking nine steps ahead of us mm-hmm. speaking of nine steps ahead General Admiral Thrawn has made his debut into the live-action Star Wars universe, uh-huh. played by the one Lars Mikkelsen. Uh-huh. And now all bets are off going into the season finale of Ahsoka, and there's a lot to digest and process with what is going on. So what we're going to be doing is diving into Part 8, entitled The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. Now, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Make sure to drop us a rating on your favorite podcast player because it does help the algorithm of the show. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement so we don't ruin anything for you. So we're going to give you our honest opinions about what we've thought about it, good, bad, and different. After that, we do give you a countdown. If you need to duck out because you don't want to have anything spoiled, this is the perfect time to do it because after that countdown is done... We deep dive. We don't hold anything back. You have been fair warned. If you're not sure where it is, it's very simple. Just check the liner notes of this podcast because Pat puts it in there for you. So we make sure it is not on us to ruin anything for you. Uh-huh. So that being said, Pat, give me your spoiler-free statement about Part 8, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. Well, first of all, kudos to whoever came up with the episode title. Solid uh, Chronicles of Narnia reference there. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, No, this episode was absolutely fantastic. Had me cheering, had me gasping, had me yelling, holy shit, you know, from start to finish. And again, some of the best Star Wars storytelling we've seen ever. You know, I can't think of the last time since maybe... Season one finale of Smallville with the cliffhanger they left where I'm like, oh, my God, I want to find out what happens now. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, unlike with Smallville, I knew, okay, it's coming back in the fall. I got to wait a couple months for it to come back. I don't know when we're going to get the resolution of this, you know, with with the way it ends, because could it be an Ahsoka season two? Maybe. Could it be? You know, Mandalorian season four, maybe. Could it go straight into the supposed movie they're working on? Maybe. You know, but this, but for this episode, fantastic episode, a lot involved with it, a lot of implications with this. And I'm just going to get this out of the way before we go into spoiler territory. If you watch this episode and you're very confused, I would recommend you watch Clone Wars. Specifically three uh, episodes, or three episodes, I won't say the name so I don't give them away. 
I've recommended them before. I'm recommending them again. And the fact that I'm recommending them for what feels like the fourth or fifth time, like I'm kind of going, hey, guys, these episodes are important. Season, it's They're all in season three, episodes 15, 16, and 17. All I'm going to say, if, if you watch this episode and you're a little confused on some of the stuff that happens towards the end of the episode, go watch those episodes and you'll you'll have at least an idea of what's going on. Because I got I got a hunch I know where things are going, but this episode was incredible. Yeah, I thought this episode was a good ending. Um, I definitely need to go back and watch those episodes of Clone Wars because mm-hmm. I was a little confused about what happened. But the resolution makes sense, and it kind of gave me the feeling that the story is not done here. Nope. Which I like because we haven't heard an official announcement about Season 2. But if we have to do locks and leaps percentage-wise, I think it's about a 98%. In some capacity, yeah. That Yeah, we're going to have a season two of some variation. Because the way this played out, and, and this isn't getting really into spoilers, but just the way the episode played out, you could tell things were still building up, and you're like more than halfway through the episode. Yeah. Halfway through the episode. And I, I agree. And, and I hit the arrow on my remote to go, all right, how much time is left? Because I feel like there's not a lot of time on it. I'm looking, I'm like, holy shit, there's really not. So just the way it builds and the way it plays out, it, it it's almost an Empire Strikes Back kind of ending where it's like, okay, parts of this are resolved, but it's also like in things are unresolved, mm. you know, and it, it's got to go someplace. You, we just don't know where yet. Exactly. There's a lot to be discussed about it. So we'll just say it's a very good episode. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need to check it out. Yes. And then obviously jump back in at this point in the episode because we have to deep dive into this. So let's get into it in three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Another home run from Dave Filoni. I know he wasn't uh, on the directing chair for this one. He did write it, though. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa, who I know has done work with uh, some of the other Star Wars live action stuff, directed a fantastic episode. Everything about this was incredible. You know, just from start to finish, you know, the surprises, the shocks, you know, the heartbreak with, with the separations going on. And then just the shit at the end where I'm like, all right, how are they going to like start to wrap a bow on this and, and send us off into the sunset until we figure out where the heck we're going next? And it left my jaw on the floor. There was a lot going on this entire season because as much as it was about Ahsoka coming to terms with her past, and we've always said in previous episodes, episode five uh, entitled Shadow Warrior is the one to watch. It's probably the most standout one of the season. Mm-hmm. That was really a great counter story to what had been the overall driving point and that is where is Ezra Bridger mm-hmm. that has been fans have been asking about since Rebels and obviously knowing his background with General Admiral Thrawn that is a huge piece that or Grand Admiral Thrawn I should yep. say that is a huge piece of the puzzle so when you start seeing this all kind of merge together and really bring everybody back under one storyline moving forward it does help this episode, uh-huh. and especially for the other performances that we had this entire season. Uh, Natasha Bordizio, who's played Sabine Wren, did a fantastic, fantastic job. job. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead playing Hera, uh-huh. another great performance. The late Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull was phenomenal when he was on screen. The, just the casting, the casting director on this show deserves a lot of credit because it, it's hard to when you take something that was created in live action, especially Ahsoka, who was voiced fantastically for so many years by Ashley Eckstein, mm-hmm. you know, on Clone Wars and Rebels. And then you look at all the work that was done on, 
you know, uh, Rebels yep. with with Vanessa Marshall voicing Hera. You know, Taylor Gray doing uh, Ezra Bridger, Freddie Prince Jr. as Kane, and Steve Blum as Zeb. You know, Tia Sikar as Sabine. You know, it, like these are characters that like we spent four years with. Mm-hmm. You know, this it wasn't like an oh we're on in the we're on in the fall. You know, the season ends in March or April, and then we're back again in the fall. No, like there was some time between these up between these episodes. Yeah, you know, so the fact that we had four years with these characters it, it i was nervous and skeptical admittedly when they announced oh yeah we're doing ahsoka and i'm like okay i know the part of ahsoka will be played well because at that point we had already seen rosario dawson play the character I'm mm-hmm. like, All right, she's been great you know she gets the character she's watched the show she understands it and then they started announcing the rebels cast was coming to this and i'm like eh, okay i mean we'll see how this goes but the the casting on this was fantastic Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was something really special bringing everybody together. And we really had strong performances throughout. Like I said, Mm -hmm. Lars Lars Mikkelsen coming in, we know he had voiced the character of Thrawn on the show and obviously brought that same intensity to the role Mm -hmm. as it plays out here because ultimately the search for Ezra ties in with Thrawn. Mm -hmm. And fans were greeted to those moments, not fan service, but fan moments of seeing Ezra return and seeing Thrawn back. And now having all those emotions of Rebels, if you were really into that show, resurface mm-hmm. and carry through to this episode. Because where we left things off, we had the happy ending in Episode 7. Mm-hmm. Episode 8, we know, was not going to end well per se. Nope. But we had an idea that it's going to be big and it's going to be impactful. And I think it did because it opens right up out with a member of the... Empire getting gifted something. Yeah. Pad, do you want to describe this? So what happens is is the uh, grandmothers are, are happy with the work Morgan Elsbeth has done because she's she's a member of their their race. You know, she's a night sister, mm-hmm. but she's not on the same level because if you haven't seen the way the night sisters play out in the Clone Wars, they're witches. You know, they, they can use the force in the same kind of idea that like Jedi and Sith can do, but it's a different part of it, you know, so that they, they have magic and it's not spelled the way you think it is. It's M-A-G-I-K, mm-hmm. you know, so they're, they're, they're witches, essentially. Uh, they get called that. That's what they are. They're, they're, it's an arcane part of the force that even the Jedi and Sith look at and go, mm, we're not so sure we're cool with this. You know, but there's various levels of it. There's folks like the grandmothers who are all seeing all powerful and can really fuck some shit, fuck some shit up. Yeah. As you see in this episode, there's folks that are kind of like, oh, we dabble in it. We, we're familiar with some stuff, but we're not exactly, you know, masters of it quite yet. And then there's folks who aren't familiar with it and they're foot soldiers. Mm. So essentially, that's what uh, mother uh, Morgan Elizabeth was. She was a foot soldier. She's an I, you know, I'm familiar with it. I'm aware it exists, but just, hey, I don't have. The ability to get there yet. And they're happy with what she does. And also we got to remember too, the grandmothers are, you know, I don't want to say, you know, f- uh, using foresight or something. They're they're aware of what could happen. And so they're like, yeah, you're going to need this. So they give her a little bit of a uh, power boost. Yeah. The blade of Mother Talzin. Yeah. The actual blade used by Mother Talzin. Uh, only saw it the one time in season six of the Clone Wars. But still an impactful item nevertheless mm-hmm. because Thrawn is more or less saying I'm leaving this planet it's now time to move on to the next phase yeah because as you've discussed on many times here pad mm-hmm. Thrawn is known for what uh being about four to nine steps ahead of you and I'm just gonna say this right now he they leave and they get everything collected they need from the planet something tells me that ain't money 
No. Sutton tells me it ain't jewels. It's not riches. I got a hunch I know what it is. And <laughs> uh, put it this way, the New Republic's not going to like it. No, absolutely not. Pareda has been an interesting base of yeah. operations, but yeah. there's a lot more going on to it. But Thrawn, being the tactician that he is, mm-hmm. is saying we're going to have to take off, and Morgan is going to have to defend their escape. Right, and he knows that, like, listen, it's not a surefire guarantee we're going to get off this planet unscathed. Mm-hmm. So they track down at least an idea or an area where they think the Jedi shuttle is. And he goes, oh, you know what? Send two TIE fighters out there, take care of them, and, you know, we'll we'll be able to go. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, you have Ahsoka, Sabin Ren, and Ezra mm-hmm. try making their way to the Chimera. To the Chimera, yeah. Yep. And there is a piece of equipment that I know made every single Star Wars fan pop a little bit, if yeah. we say in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, in wrestling terms. And Pad, what did Ezra do? Uh, he built himself a new lightsaber. Now, uh, Sabine does have his old one, but as we saw in the last episode, he will not take it back for whatever reason. So he's built. he, he spent the time on the ship to build the lightsaber, which it's got all the parts, all the components, because this is the ship that would take the younglings from the Jedi Temple to Ilum to get their uh, kyber crystal to build their lightsaber, and then there would be all these parts, all the necessary equipment on said ship based on however they wanted it, you know, the look, the feel, the grip, and all, everything else. And and he he took the time to build it, and there, it, there was a fun back-and-forth banter interaction between Hu Yang and, and Ezra because Hu Yang, who's been doing this since before any of them were born mm. by about a couple 10,000 years, uh, is like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, I'm building my lightsaber. He goes, no, you're not. You're kind of screwing this up. He goes, no, I'm doing it the way my master taught me. Oh, well, who is your master? Oh, his his master. And Sabine goes, oh, well, his master is Kanan Jarrus. And, and Hu Yang goes, oh, okay, well, that explains a few things. Yes. So sure enough, he now has Kanan's lightsaber, for the, for lack of a better term. A replica, yeah. Yeah, lack of a better term. So he, the three of them are making their way to the Chimera. Mm-hmm. And that is docked in a certain uh, place. Yeah, so it's it's in this tower-looking thing that we've seen the last couple episodes. But with them ready to leave, he orders the Eye of Scion uh, to come down planet side, which admittedly, as big as this thing was, I didn't think it could make it into the, onto the planet and not destroy a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he orders the Eye of Scion down to the planet to, to basically like, hey, all right, let's get docked up and ready to leave. Yes. So you see the trio is making their way, and they have to fight some immense forces mm-hmm. to get in. And like I say, very cool special effects going on here yeah. with, the, with the ship firing on them. Yeah, the Having, two TIE fighters. Yeah, and like I say, because their original ship is, is destroyed in a little battle, mm-hmm. so to speak. It's uh, damaged. Yeah. Hu Yang, who is voiced by David Tennant, yep. is trying to do the best he can, but obviously they can't escape that, so they have to make a, a almost a plea on foot. Yeah, so they're they're traveling along, and it's and it's interesting because it looks like they're covering for the Nodi. Mm-hmm. You know, as they travel across, the Tie Fighters show up, attack them, they knock out one of the stabilizers. You know, so they're trying to the Nodi basically park and c- cover their heads for protection. Uh, you know, Ezra and Ahsoka go out to confront the. The TIE fighters, Sabine goes back into the cockpit with Hu Yang. You know, they they don't have much power. And he goes, oh, they she diverts a little power to the engines. And he goes, listen, that power is going to get us moving, but not for very far. And she's like, don't worry. It's all I need. And she hits the accelerators and takes off. 
you know, at the two TIE fighters, spins the ship around a little bit, hits the two TIE fighters with her wings, crashes the two TIE fighters, killing the uh, pilots inside. But then simultaneously, their ship crashes into the ground, seemingly being uh, incapable of flying. Yeah. So like I say, there's some great action there. And then even when they make the, the plea on foot running yeah. into the base, yep. that's the one that really stood out to me. Like I said, the, the TIE fighter battle, was it seemed very quick. Mm-hmm. So, but this one seemed a little more like you you understood the danger happening at hand because yeah. Thrawn knows the threat is now real and mm-hmm. he's trying to be as tactful as he can, especially when he's trying to close them off from the base of operations as they're running into the temple there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because they before they show up, it gets reported uh, to Thrawn like, "Hey, we sent out those two Tie Fighters and they found him, and we got a report that they attacked him, but we've lost all contact." Mm-hmm. With with the Tie Fighter, so the, he's there. Like presumably, the Tie Fighters are, are gone. Yeah, and Thrawn goes, "Oh, that you know what? That's an acceptable loss given the given the circumstances. You know, put a medal of commendation in the captain's file. You know, give him a promotion, and you know, get ready for a ground invasion." Yeah, it then cuts to uh, you know Sabine and Ezra and uh, Ahsoka riding on those mountain mm-hmm. things, whatever they are, back back to uh, where. Uh, Thrawn is because Thrawn deduces, all right, well, they have very limited options. They're only on foot right now. So, yeah, we got to get ready for ground invasion. So they show up ready to storm the castle, as it were. And Thrawn mm-hmm. goes, oh, I've anticipated this. Yeah. Uh, rain hellfire on the ground. Yeah. Like I said, this is an awesome scene. This is where it really picked up for me. Mm-hmm. But you see that they avert that. They sneak into the castle. The yep. door shuts behind them. Very Indiana Jones-esque. Yeah. Ahsoka and- tells uh, Sabine to help Ezra hold the doors open mm-hmm. with the force. Yeah. But while they're doing this, Thrawn makes the call, mm-hmm. sends Morgan Elsbeth mm-hmm. and the night troopers. Well, yeah, he tells Morgan Elsbeth that, like, hey, he doesn't outright say it. He kind of, like, leaves it on a, on a cliffhanger and lets her come to her, her come to the conclusion. He's like, hey, they're here, and they're, they're coming through a little faster than we anticipated. So, uh, yeah. And, and she basically like, oh, I need to stay behind and fight them and possibly die so that I can delay them long enough so that he can escape. And she goes, and without saying anything, she just looks at him and goes, okay. Well, I mean, he, he kind of alluded to it when the night or the great mothers were giving her the yeah. powers. Yeah. Like you're going to have to pay an ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And this is where it kind of came up and he put the exclamation point on like, I need to get away. You're going to be the last line of defense. I don't think it sunk in it when it was first referenced, no. but it sinks in now. And that she's like, okay, well, I have the night troopers. We're going to be able to do what we can do. Uh-huh. And they wind up having this amazing fight scene at the bottom of the castle. Yeah. Where you you see the trio of heroes taking them out left and right. Uh-huh. A lot of cool lightsaber action going on. Yeah. And then things get... <laughs> Spooky. Yeah, break it down for us, Pat. So the crew gets through the, gets through the initial wave of uh, night troopers. And then they're like, all right, hey, cool. We made it through there. We got to go up. We got to continue up, upwards and onwards. And before they can clear the stairs, the great mothers start using some of their magic. Uh, if you've seen Clone Wars, you knew what was coming because I sure as shit did. As soon as I saw the uh, green glowing, they use some of their magic and they resurrect all of the uh, death troopers. Mm-hmm. Taking a page out of The Walking Dead, you see Ahsoka uh, so- uh, turn around uh-huh. and just the, the look of terror. Like this was, <laughs> she's like, "What the fuck?" This is brilliant acting by Rosario Dawson. Uh huh. Because you just saw the facial expression and she's like, "Oh shit." Well, and I forget who asks it, but one of the three goes, "Have is this new? Have we seen this before?" And somebody else goes, "No, nah, this is new." And I think Ezra goes, "Oh, lucky us." Yeah. So they wind up having to fight off the undead 
stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Along with more live troopers still coming at them. Yeah, so it's a crazy fight sequence going up the staircase to get to the top of the castle. Mm-hmm. But it pays off. I mean, like I said, you have great action going on. A lot of the force is being used. Yeah. It's a lot of things that play into the Star Wars fan base. Yeah, uh, uh, Sabine finally uh, uses the force at one point towards the end of the battle. Because once they get to the top of the, uh, the castle, if castle, you will, yeah. uh, they wind up getting kind of trapped. Well, yeah, because they get separated because at this point, Morgan Elizabeth has shown up to confront the three of them. Ahsoka tells Sabine and Ezra, hey, you guys go on. I'll take care of her. Uh, Sabine and Ezra go to the top, and they start taking on two more night troopers who are, like, power buffed, mm-hmm. like, crazy. Like, if I remember right, the one – Sabine stabs the one in the stomach, and he gives absolutely no fucks. Yeah, he no-sells it. He no-sells he, he no it hard. Uh, but then she's, like, getting choked out while he the night trooper is holding, holding her up in the air. And it's like finally, like she's reaching out, and you can see her trying, see her trying, and then she finally uses the force and summons the lightsaber to her. Mm-hmm. Threw my arms up for that one. Oh, it's a great moment because it's been building. And I will say, kudos to the special effects team on this and the mm-hmm. makeup because you saw the undead face. Oh yeah, of the trooper that was choking out. Oh yeah, Sabine, and you saw the skeleton jaw, like like I say, yeah. it looked like Walking Dead emerged here i can't help but wonder if maybe they consulted greg nicotero for some of this i'm sure they did like like not like in an official capacity just like hey you're you're the zombie expert yeah i'm sure they picked his brain a little bit or the team over the walking dead i'm i'm i guarantee it because when i saw the jawline especially with the way the the night troopers who were reanimated started walking yeah had a very walking dead vibe to it oh absolutely so, like I said, it made a lot of sense, and, and especially the special effects. Like I said, you saw the one helmet mm-hmm. is cracked. You can see the jawline, and it looked like perfect Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. So it plays in there. Ezra makes a big move, too, cuts the head off of one yeah. dead trooper. Yeah. So, like I say, there's a lot of wind happening, and you also see at this point, too, that the Thrawn is ready to take off. Mm-hmm. He's starting to pull away. Yeah, it's a tough call that gets made. And basically, Sabine talks Ezra into jumping to the ship. Yeah, and it's and she's seen Ezra and his master Kanan do this back in Rebels. It's a move he did with Kanan all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so Ezra's a little hesitant because Sabine just started showing use of the Force. It's like, hey, are we really going to be able to? But she's like, listen, the longer we, we wait, the more, the more you're going to hesitate. We just have to do this. Yeah, meanwhile, the entire time you're having this amazing fight sequence between Elsbeth and Ahsoka. Who are progressing further up the castle. Yeah, so they're fighting their way upward. Ahsoka winds up losing one of her lightsabers. Yeah. And the battle is just getting more out of control for her, but she's trying to buy them time to escape, so she's willing to sacrifice herself. Yep. And then during the line here, we see Ezra does make it to the ship. We don't know the fate of Sabine. And then you go back to Elsbeth, who basically says, get ready to die on this planet alone. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, you hear a voice go, she's not dying alone. She's not alone. Or she's not alone. And Sabine coming back to make the save. Mm-hmm. So they wind up fighting off the troopers, and you do see Ahsoka kill Elsbeth yeah. in the process. Uh-huh. Uh, takes a lightsaber slash, and also I think she took the blade of Talzin mm-hmm. and slashed her in the stomach as well with a lightsaber. Yeah. So 100% she's dead. Oh, yeah. Well, we think. Well, I think Thrawn is... <laughs> Darth Maul would say otherwise, but yeah, in theory, she's dead. Well, you have to think. Thrawn's the one that would be able to control this, and I think at this point, he's like, I don't care. This is called uh, dropping dead weight. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. In his opinion, because you know he's willing to sacrifice everybody else to get out of there. Not wrong. So he winds up trying to take off in the planet. You do see that Ahsoka and Ren 
go meet up with Hu Yang. Yeah, he, he's got the ship repaired, and he comes in for the save. Yeah, so they try tagging on to him before he makes the jump to hyperspace. Mm-hmm. And they're just short. Yeah, well, and I, and brilliant uh, line from Thrawn as they were getting ready to leave, where he's basically like, hey, I knew what you were going to do. I know your master's Anakin. And he, and he basically tells her without saying to her, I know what he became. Because he tells Ahsoka, it's very interesting to see what will happen to you and if it will be any similarities like to what happened with it, your master. Mm-hmm. Which, say, tell her without telling her. You know, and then he goes, oh, maybe it's a good thing a Ronin like you is left here on your own. Yeah. And, and at that point, which is just cold-blooded as fuck. And he, and at that point, he takes off back into the galaxy we all know and love from the movies uh, and shows and leaving Hu Yang, uh, Hera, not Hera, uh, Hu Yang, Ahsoka, and Sabine mm-hmm. stranded in that new galaxy. Yeah. So we have a little bit of a resolution here, too, mm-hmm. because it does almost go into like a throwback sequence. Kind of. Because you do see Thrawn and his army, mm-hmm. that whatever he has left. The, is, the Star Destroyer. Yes. Yeah. Is now back in canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're back uh, at Dathomir, the home of the Night Sisters. Mm-hmm. So they're now back in play into the major Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. They're coming. You see that. Ahsoka and Ren and Hu Yang mm-hmm. are now making a community with the Nadi. Yeah, they've rejoined the same crew that they were hanging out with with Ezra. You know, they like each other. They're friends. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, so now they're setting up, making the best of the situation on Pareda. Mm-hmm. And then you do see a Star Destroyer flying into a Republic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a Imperial shuttle. Yeah, a shuttle. But belonging to the New Republic, mm-hmm. you see Hera and company are coming down to confront whoever's flying in. Ten bucks says it's transmitting an Imperial code, so they're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. You see somebody coming off wearing full <laughs> Stormtrooper armor. Which I got I to gotta say, I love the amount of smoke that that thing billowed out. Because if you think back to when that same type of shuttle showed up in Return of the Jedi at the beginning, when like Vader and then the Emperor showed up, not nearly that much smoke was pouring out of that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's because it's older, but I, I just found it funny. Yeah, so you see Ezra come out there who's confronted by the war criminal Chopper. Mm, yeah. Let's never forget. The, the noted war criminal Chopper. Yes. And he takes the helmet off. He stares at Hera. There's an emotional moment there, and he just says, hey, I'm home. I was wishing there'd been a hug there. Yeah, well, I think they held off on that because with how things were left for everybody else, mm-hmm. like it would have been a great feel-good moment to see. Yeah. But obviously Ahsoka and Ren are not there. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they didn't. Like I was expecting something, but I think it's just the sheer emotion that Ezra is now back in the major universe. Mm-hmm. That's the big enough win for fans. Mm-hmm. But then also on Parada, they did leave a couple things open. Like we said, Ahsoka is there just kind of overlooking the night sky. She is getting watched over by the ghost of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. So Hayden Christensen makes one last appearance on the show. Mm-hmm. And then we also find out about two other characters that have been floating around the entire background. Mm-hmm. That almost, let's be honest, they were forgotten about. For most of this episode, yeah. Yeah, because you have Shin uh, Haiti, mm-hmm. who's played by Ivana Sakno. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had been the apprentice of Balin Skull. Mm-hmm. And she is now broken away. She she got left for dead. Yeah, she's now completely on her own. Yep. And she winds up joining the traveling bandits that were trying to rob the Nadi way back when. Mm-hmm. And then you do see Balin's skull. Goddamn. Break this scene down, Pat. So the one thing I got to point out is when there was an earlier scene, not super early, but like 
around the same sequence of events where Ahsoka was there and there was a bird flying in the background. Mm-hmm. So bear that in mind. But so we see Balin's skull. He's on a mountaintop with a fi- uh, finger pointing off in the distance and the camera starts to pan out. And it, and it was at this point when, cause it took me a minute to recognize and for a minute to click what was on the two statues in the background. And I, once I realized what it was, uh, my girlfriend can vouch. I screamed, Oh my fucking God, it's the father. Because again, if you have not seen uh season three, episode 15 titled overlords season three titled uh, episode 16 titled altar of mortis and season three, episode 17, titled Ghosts of Mortis from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Get watching those now because that is going to explain a lot and give you an idea of who those, who those statues are. Because the so they were uh, on this planet called Mortis. It was an ethereal realm, you know, within the Force. You know, kind of out, it was out of time, you know, because when they went in there and when they came out, it was like maybe a couple seconds had passed by. Mm-hmm. But while they were in there... It, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, but uh, some crazy shit happened. Yeah. All, all I'm going to say, but you've got the father who we saw there. Uh, he was kind of the balance between the light and the dark, mm-hmm. you know, between, you know, and he had a son who was, you know, supposed to be the dark side of the force. And he had a daughter who was the light side of the force. And again, don't want to go super into details here because, again, it, you have to watch those episodes and you'll have a great idea where things are going. Mm-hmm. Cause I get the feeling based off of uh, what we see and what Balin's calls feeling on that planet. And we might be seeing some stuff next season as for uh, the bird. I brought up the bird that ties into the father, son and the daughter thing as well. Also one of the other times. So this isn't the first time Ahsoka has seen that bird or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. The other time she saw that bird was when she was in the world between worlds in uh, Rebels. Hmm. So I think for them, because I thought the entire time they're building this up, like, oh, uh, uh, when Sabine was sensing something, I'm like, oh, maybe it's the Pergil showing up again. And then obviously it turned out to be Anakin. What I think is going to happen is Ahsoka is going to find a way to get back to the world between worlds. Because as we learned with Rebels, you can kind of time travel with the world between worlds because it's not really set in one time frame mm-hmm. you can kind of go between different points in in uh the timeline so <laughs> me thinks uh, that that's how they're going to be able to get back whenever they decide to pick up the story but jaw-dropping sequence in this final shot with bale and skull if you've seen those three episodes of clone wars which seriously go watch those episodes you'll understand kind of the gravity of what they're showing and what they're setting up for season two it's just going to suck that ray stevenson unfortunately passed away because with Dave Filoni writing those characters and setting up those sequences with those characters from those three episodes of Clone Wars in live action, oh, Stevenson would have ate the shit out of that those scenes. Oh, absolutely. It would have been incredible. Yeah, I have my own theory about how Ahsoka's getting home. Mm-hmm. Two words. Yeah. Skeleton crew. Yeah. We've, we haven't been talking about the Jude Law TV show that's coming out. And I think that's, that's true. flying under a radar. That's true. And if I'm not mistaken, it's about people trying to find their way home. Yeah, it could be. So what better way... Brand to, new character. Yeah, could be. ...to tie everything together. That's my early prediction for it. Yeah, it could I be. mean, obviously, we have a long ways to go before we hear anything about this. Because nothing is officially announced. Correct. And obviously, with everything that's been going on with WGA and and, and SAG-AFTRA and, and that mm-hmm. whole ordeal, mm-hmm. more stuff will be coming out 
after SAG Astra is all tied up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel that's going to maybe happen in very very soon. I don't know anything. As yeah, you have reporting. to figure. Yeah, I just figured with WGA getting basically everything they wanted, which is awesome to see. Yes, I think that SAG Astra they'll want to get back to business just following suit too, and I think that that will move very quickly. I think we'll soon hear more news about that as well, too, because I think that coming off the heels of this, the only thing we know that is coming, other than Skeleton Crew, which we don't have any dates for, we don't have any other information, just it's coming, mm-hmm. is Star Wars Visions. Vision. Well, also Star Wars Acolyte is coming, but that's in a whole different top point in the timeline. Right. So that's not going to factor into this at all. You know, we haven't heard anything about a potential second season of Book of Boba Fett. We haven't heard anything about season four, or possibly a Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in theory, of what we know right now, and of course, guarantee they've got other stuff planned at, at Lucasfilm. They just haven't told us yet. But from what we can figure right now, uh, Skeleton Crew would make the most sense. Yeah, that's one thing I thought. I was like, okay, they're going to lead into this, which make you know, yeah, it could be. It's perfect because it's a situation where you have this unknown property. It's tied into this universe that, you know, the Mandoverse, as you call it. I'm running with that now. Anybody uses that on social media, give credit to Pat, at Meslin on all social media. This is a situation that would be perfect to fit in, and then you instantly make that crew credible. Mm-hmm. And then it ties into whatever epic movie Filoni has been talking about. I mean, I think the only movie that is more hyped up about is the Rick and Michonne movie for The Walking Dead. Yeah. If that ever happens. Yeah. But... All in all, this really builds into we're not done yet, and that's a big win for fans because of you know everything that was done from the acting to the writing for the series. It's been nothing but win. Mm-hmm. I mean, has it been perfect? No, but it doesn't need to be. It hit the points it needed to because if you weren't a fan of Rebels and the Clone Wars, you're going to go back and watch now. Mm-hmm. If you are sold on the idea of Thrawn being somebody that can fill in that Darth Vader role on live action, this is the perfect way to do it. Mm-hmm. And now you have the door open for doing more stories like this. Yeah. And this can kind of bridge the gap until we start talking movies again and whatever we're going to lead into. And it's nothing but win for Disney Plus and Star Wars. And I think right now it can not come at a better time. Star Wars fans are doing real good these days. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to see. So that being said, it's going to be a while till we see the return of Ahsoka and company on the small screen. So in the meantime, Pat, final thoughts on the season. Great season. I'm probably going to rewatch it at some point, you know, which I haven't done for a Star Wars show in quite some time, mm-hmm. just because there was so much to this that I loved and I want, and I want to experience again. Like I almost wanted to rewatch the episode as soon as the credits started rolling for this episode, you know, but it's a fantastic show. Cannot recommend it enough. And like I said, if you want, a further deep dive and explanation on this stuff. Those three episodes are more of uh, these Clone Wars I mentioned, but also if you haven't seen Clone Wars, go watch Clone Wars. It's fantastic. It'll flesh out a lot of stuff with Ahsoka and then go watch Rebels. It'll flesh out a lot of stuff with Ezra and Sabine and all this other stuff. Because with, with us not knowing when we're going to get this continuation of the story, you got plenty of time to catch up. Uh, all seasons of both of those shows are on Disney+. Plus. That said, fantastic season overall. Definitely worth a rewatch. Definitely worth talking about. So hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPagePod. Thoughts on the season finale. I almost said series, but it's the season finale. No way, it's a series finale. Yeah, of Ahsoka entitled Part 8, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. And then let's talk about the the season overall. What was your thoughts? What did you love? What did you not? Let's have that discussion, shall we? But we're going to take a break first. We'll be right back. Do you like comic books? What about movies and TV shows? Well, we may be the show for you. We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week. 
Every week we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news. We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And with one show ending, another one begins on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. It's hard to believe, but here we are, finally ready to kick off. I mean, arguably one of the biggest shows of the year. Very anticipated. Very anticipated. And with everything going on in the MCU, this is one that is going to be, dare I say, the pace car Uh for what is going to be happening in the next phase. Uh Because ever since season one ended, fans were finally introduced to the next big bad of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or at least one version of them. One version indeed, because it gets a little crazy, it gets a little messy, but it is what it is. And that is, we are finally ready to kick off season two of Loki. Uh So Tom Hiddleston is returning into the title role as the God of Mischief. Uh, a, A figure displaced in time that obviously with the events of what happened with Endgame and time travel and, as we just like to say, reasons. Yeah. He is kind of bouncing around in between time uh-huh. and winds, winds up being used by Mobius, played by the one and only Owen Wilson, wow. and the TVA to go solve a time anomaly that they cannot figure out. Uh-huh. And that is tracking down... A killer known as Sylvie, played by Sophie D. Martino, mm-hmm. and her story that just really gets involved about tracking down the secret of the TVA. Yep, and what spirals into getting introduced to Jonathan Majors, Kang the Conqueror, or Immortus, or the many variants that are going to be popping up now. Right, because at the end of time, when it gets there. Things happen, and now the door is open. Mm-hmm. Well, and even from when shit hit, really hits the fan in the final couple episodes to where you get to, and kind of like the cliffhanger ending for the first season, where he's back in one of the rooms in the TVA that like we saw a handful of times over the course of however many episodes were in the first season. You know, he shows up, and, and things are different, and he's, he's almost relieved. He's like, oh, my God, he being uh, Loki. He's like, oh, my God, you know, thank God you guys are okay. Things, things are seemingly back to normal. You know, uh, this is crazy. I mean, I mean, how did you guys get here? And I'm paraphrasing, you know. But he, he goes, oh, my God, how did you guys get here? And they're like, who are you? Mm-hmm. What the, what's going on? What, what is this thing you're talking about? You know, and they show a statue that was in the room there, and it's not the same statue we saw earlier in the season. So clearly things have gotten messed with again, you know, and and, and it's not good because the TVA is supposed to be out of time. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of the the guiding light, if you will, you know, the uh, lighthouse in the ocean guiding the ships to port, Mm -hmm. you know, but now, you know, we're, we're even as we saw in, I think it was like the first episode of season one, you know, the infinity stones have no effect there and they're, and they're, they're paperweights. And there was one person who had a a desk drawer full of infinity stones. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden, this place that's supposed to be untouchable and, you know, unrewritable, I guess you could say, is all of a sudden going through some issues itself. Well, the one situation is anytime you deal with time travel, no matter what universe it is, Marvel, Mm -hmm. DC, Doctor Who. Yeah. It's always a bit messy. Yes. To put it mildly. And especially with how Endgame wrapped up. Mm Mm-hmm. 
things were going to be weird because obviously with Cap going back in time and right. trying to put the Infinity Stones back. I mean, I would say spoilers at this stage, but I don't it's think, been five years. I don't know. I was going to say I don't think anybody hasn't seen Endgame by now. Like literally, we, we like no. I, I realized this the other day because somebody pointed it out on social media. This October is when the Battle of Earth is supposed to take place between you know past. Uh, past Thanos' forces in the Avengers. Mm. So, like, because Avengers Endgame starts in 2018, fast forward five years, it's 2023. So we are literally at the point where Endgame is supposed to be taking place. It's been five years. Oh, yeah. So Screw like, the spoilers. Yeah, I was going to say, we can't even say spoilers at this stage. Like, yeah. I, I mean, everybody knows that what happened in time, but yeah. now it's caused a ripple effect. Well, and especially with what we saw from Infinity War to Endgame, because Infinity War, we saw Loki die. Mm-hmm. You know, he died right at the start. And then we get to Endgame where they start time traveling. And as you said, things get messy. Yeah. You know, Loki, who's supposed to die, however many years, probably like 10, uh, five, six, seven years, whatever it is, after the events we see him in in Endgame, you know, goes, oh, hey, cool. Tesseract. Bye. Yeah. So now with the end of time unraveling Mm -hmm. due to the actions of Sylvie and Loki, Mm -hmm. things are going to be looking very grim for the MCU. Mm Mm-hmm. And what we've seen from the season so far in the trailers is they now have to go track down whatever version of Loki they or Kang they think they're going to find. Mm-hmm. Because now with Kang the Conqueror on the loose in the time stream, mm-hmm. it's now causing more problems than not. Well, and especially with the bonus scene we saw at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, mm. where we saw the Council of Kangs. Yes. Which, I mean, this plays right into the comics. If you're not familiar with the character... Kang is a tri- uh, time-traveling conqueror. Who gives no fucks. Who is very ruthless in his uh, actions. He's a very formidable foe, whether it's the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. And this is one that when they chose to make him the big bad of the MCU in this next phase, mm-hmm. I thought this might be some problems. Mm-hmm. Because you're talking time travel yeah. meets the pop culture audience, yeah. and that can get very, very messy, and mm-hmm. especially with what you're seeing in the trailers here. However, though... This isn't anything that's not overcomable. No. It's just they have to be very clear about where they're going with each character. But especially now, coming off the heels of Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah. That you saw the Council of Kangs and how this is all play into. And I think where Loki is going to be involved in is, I think, you know, doing an early prediction of this, you're going to find out a lot about the background of Kang. Mm-hmm. And to see how he works and how very meticulous he is. And, mm-hmm. and you know, very plotting. And that's... Really, how he gets his, you know, overcomes a lot of his, you know, I, I would say adversity mm-hmm. in his goals that he tries succeeding in. Mm-hmm. And especially one thing that they keep emphasizing is there is a lot of time travel here. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And you're seeing that Loki and Mobius are going back into time, and you're seeing how there's a Victor Timely who's a, almost like a Broadway performer. Yeah. That's doing a, a one man show that they have to go track down. And is that the real Kang or is it not? Or is it a variant? We don't know. And then to see how this all ties in together as they're trying to piece the timeline back together. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pad, do you have any early predictions for this season? I would, I would like to see them maybe tie in a little bit with what happened with Quantum Mania, just because that that tied in with time travel and it tied in with multiverses and stuff like that. That like I don't need to see Scott Lang or or you know, Evangeline Lilly show up, mm-hmm. but like just to get a mention of like because Kang was the big bad in that movie. Yeah, Kang was 
or a version of Kang ended up being one of the big bags bads in this show. Depending on where the show takes place, if it takes place right where the first season left off, okay, obviously we're not going to get a mention of that at the start, but at some point you would think we're going to get some sort of mention of like, hey, we're trying to fix shit where we're barely holding together what we're messing up on our end. And we got these external things, you know, in the quantum and even just mentioning like, oh, we got these external things going on in the quantum realm. We're really messing with things. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to see a mention of that and at least tie it in with that just because I feel like for me, the whole time travel and multiverse and, and Kang thing was executed really good with Loki season one where you kind of built it in and you brought it in and it's like, okay, we're, you know, you're, you're, if you're making a toy sailboat, you're kind of pushing the boat off from the, from the land and letting it do its thing. Mm -hmm. But at that point, once it got going, it started taking on water a little bit and it kind of lost some steam and it lost some of the wind at its sail, I guess you could say. So I would like to see them kind of maybe, and I, and I don't know how, but just maybe kind of correct it back a little bit and, and fix it just because it feels like it got, it got a little messy here lately. No, I agree with you. I think they, they, they're going to have to do a lot of fixing. Mm-hmm. And especially, too, with what you've seen with the trailers, like I say, there's not a lot to go on. That's right. why we're not really doing a deep dive in it. You're seeing a lot of the cast is returned in some variation, and more or less Loki has to try fixing the timeline. Mm-hmm. And can they do this? And like I say, you're seeing a lot of different time periods jump into play here. A lot of the familiar characters that we know from the show, yep. like we've already mentioned, and especially, too, you're seeing a lot of Ravona Renslayer played by Gugu Mothra. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how she's going to play into this season is going to be anybody's guess. You see a very animated Miss Minutes voiced by Tara Strong. Yeah. Who, I, how is this, like I say, there's just so many moving parts in the different time periods that everybody is just basically focused on going after whoever this variant of Kang is. And mm-hmm. hopefully if they can find it, they can fix the timeline and repair it. But the one thing is, at least that fans can kind of, you know, breathe a little easier about, is they Marvel has a pretty good overall timeline. Mm-hmm. So there won't be a lot of anxiety about, like, I'm going to get lost watching this, watching this. They're pretty, like, linear when it comes to that. Yeah, I would say for right now, for what we know, as long as you've seen Loki, see, if you haven't kept up with the stuff since Endgame, as long as you've seen Loki season one, you should be good for this. Mm-hmm. I would say probably watching Ant-Man, Quantum, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania wouldn't hurt mm-hmm. just because... You know, the Jonathan Majors Kang story starts in Loki season one, kind of continues in Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, and the, and presumably is going to continue on in this. So it, I'm not sitting here saying, you got to watch every TV show and every movie since Avengers Endgame up to this point to understand. No, like as long as you watch Loki season one, Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, you should be good mm-hmm. for, for as much as we know right now. For as much as we know, exactly. That's the point, because there's not a lot to work off of. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of variants, a lot of running through the TVA. Yeah, I, ex- I expect it to be kind of kept to what it was season one, where there's not a ton of cameos. You know, I think maybe the only cameo they did was, I think, if I remember, maybe uh, Chris Evans showed up at one point, but that was Loki impersonating him, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not expecting Chris Hemsworth to show up. I'm not expecting Benedict Cumberbatch to show up as their characters. Could we see him as, you know, Loki turning into them? Yeah, sure. But in terms of like a Thor going, oh, what am I doing here? Where am no, I'm not expecting like a cameo heavy thing. I expect it to be kind of its own self-contained thing. But just like I said, I would like to see it tie in at least a little bit or bring in at least a little bit of the story elements we saw from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Like, I don't know what's going to happen now because as it's slated, we have the Marvels coming out in November. Yes. Everything else 
is more or less up in the air. So, and I don't think the Marvel's movie is going to have anything to do with Loki or Kang. I think it's going to be Probably self-contained. Not. I think it's going to be self-contained into more or less cleaning up from what happened with Secret Invasion. Right. That's where it's going to be focused on, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So this is really going to be playing with an open playbook, mm-hmm. and they can go a lot of different directions with it as they want to choose. Right. Uh, so I got pulled up an article from IGN, which is a little dated. It's dated, uh, where is it? There it is. Uh, the, it was posted on September 7th of this year, so some of these might not be 100% right date-wise. Uh, but from what we know, we obviously we got Loki Season 2 coming here uh, uh, this week. Marvel's, as you mentioned, is coming out in November. After that, it looks like What If Season 2 is coming in late December 2023. Then you've got X-Men 97 uh, in next year. Echo sometime next year. And again, like I said, with writer strike, actor strike, yeah. some of this card subject to change. Yep. Uh, you know, Deadpool 3 still on the horizon. Captain America, Brave New World still on the horizon. Uh, the Agatha show, because I'm not going to say the other name because they've changed it like four times. Yeah, it's changed a lot. Uh, Thunderbolts is still on the horizon. Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man freshman year. Uh, Blade, Fantastic Four. Uh, Avengers, and at this point, Avengers Kang Dynasty. At this point, I'm into May 26th. So presumably this is going to be kind of the last Kang time travel multiverse thing we could see for a little bit. The only thing that I think could happen here, and this is only a guess. So I want to stress this is this might tie into alluding to the fantastic four. It could, but uh, as soon as I said, nothing on the horizon, my eyes went to Deadpool three and I wouldn't be surprised if Kang in some capacity shows up in Deadpool three, because at this point, as we know, Deadpool is in the Fox universe Mm -hmm. side of things. You got to figure they're going to pull him into the Marvel cinematic universe side of things. And what better way to do it than with, you know, just, just bring Jonathan majors in for that movie as the Fox universe version of Kang Mm -hmm. and haul him into, you know, the MCU side of things. So if I had to put money on, you know, because X-Men 97, obviously that's the tie-in to the animated animated show. What if? Probably not. No, what if it's not going to have anything to do with it? You know, Echo, no. But if so, if if I had to put money down on after Loki season two, when we're going to see Kang next in some capacity, my guess would be uh, Deadpool 3. I mean, it's a good guess. Because Deadpool three is is wide open. The the rumor is it's going to be Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Right. That's the rumor. So, depending on what they want to do with that, I mean that that could be. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, me, I think it's going to be more Fantastic Four based because especially if the rumor is it's going to be dated in the '60s and then bring to listen, present time. Listen, if Wade Wilson kills a giant cloud in space, I'm going to label it the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> Yeah, if you know, you know. Uh huh. So I, I will mark out for that as well too. If he does that, but that's the one thing about this show is they have a lot of areas they can go in. Yeah, and we will have an idea about how Kang is going to be making his next appearance in the MCU after this show. Mm-hmm. The only question is going to be is will Tom Hiddleston's Loki still be around, or is this going to be the end for him? That's that's the interesting thing, just because Hiddleston was on one of those old Marvel contracts where it's you're licensed or you're contracted for X number of appearances. But from everything we've heard the last couple of years, they've really gone away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a per need basis and whether the person's up to doing it. I don't see why Hiddleston wouldn't want to continue doing it. He might want to take a step back and not do it as much as he has, you know, because he's obviously going to want to do other stuff and not be tied down and doing this all the time. But. You never know. 
Well, the one area that I think that he is enjoying with it is, let's face it, this put him on the map. Uh, you're not wrong. So he owes a, a lot to the MCU, and, and he understands the fan base too. Like, you know when you see him in a film, the arguably the first thing you're going to think about him is Loki. Mm-hmm. So he understands that, but I think he's also waiting to see how things play out because his character was killed. Mm-hmm. There's, and but granted, it's comics. Pe- yeah, people die all the time and come back <laughs> unless you're Ben Parker. Yeah, he could always come back in some way, shape, or form. I mean, obviously, if you go through the comics, Loki has reappeared in many different forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right now, it, especially too, I'll even plug what they're doing with Marvel Unlimited and the Agent of Asgard. Yeah, just putting that series out there. So you want to go check that out? Uh, definitely make sure you're checking for uh, Marvel Unlimited for that. It's a very cool deal happening there. So just go check it. But like I say, they can come and go as they please. If Hiddleston wants to take a break, he can always return. But it also just depends on what the MCU wants to do. And Kevin Feige's got his plan. That's the one thing that's nice about the MCU is there is a blueprint. Do they sometimes call audibles and and rearrange? Yeah, but at least there's something mapped out for it. And I think that a lot of fans are going to be watching the Doctor Who-ish style of this show because it's going to mm-hmm. bounce around a lot of places. A lot of mystery is happening here, but we did see a lot of familiar faces come back. And where we're going to go with the story is really up in the air, but it's going to be one that fans are going to be talking about. And I guarantee you we will be talking about it next week on the ODPH. So that being said, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Season 2 of Loki drops October 6th on Disney+. Plus. Check your times where you are listening to us around the world. And then let's talk about it on social media after. Give it a couple days, though. The 72-hour embargo rule is up with us for the ODPH, and then we go live in the spoilers for that. And then next week we'll be doing a full recap here on the ODPH podcast. So until then, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, guys. This is Mac Room. I'm the writer of Infernogo Red, and you're listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is some Star Trek news, and specifically some uh, Patrick Stewart Star Trek news. Oh. Uh, no, he's not coming back as Jean-Luc Picard. However, he does have a uh, memoir coming out here very soon. Okay. Uh, next couple of weeks, uh, titled Making It So. Uh, I plan on... <laughs> plan, well played. I, it's a great title. Plan on picking this up myself, uh, just to hear some of the stories or his storied career. Although one particular story he tells in this uh, novel, or memoir, I guess I should say, is uh, picking up a little traction in regarding one of the uh, most divisive and least liked Star Trek movies of all time, uh, and specifically uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Oh. Uh, of course, the 2002 film where he was in it, along with Tom Hardy, a young Tom Hardy, uh, playing the main uh, villain in the movie. Uh, so reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, Star Trek legend Patrick Stewart isn't a fan of Star Trek Nemesis. Among the problems he encountered was actor Tom Hardy, who Stewart claims was challenging to work with on the 2002 Star Trek movie. Quote, Tom wouldn't engage with any of us on a social level, Stewart claimed in his new memoir, Making It So. Never said good morning, never said good night, and spent the hours he wasn't needed on set in his trailer with his girlfriend. He was by no means hostile, added Stewart. It was just challenging to establish any rapport with him. Close quote. Star Trek Nemesis starred uh, Hardy as Shinzon, the powerful Praetor and leader of the Romulan Empire, who turns out to be an imperfect clone of Picard himself. The film was critically panned and sits at 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Perhaps most embarrassingly, embarrassingly, Stewart wasn't a fan of the film either. Quote, Nemesis, which came out in 2002, was particularly weak, he said. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a single exciting scene to play, and the actor who portrayed the movie's villain, Shinzon, was an odd, solitary young man from London. 
His name was Tom Hardy. Close quote. As for Hardy himself, Stewart admitted he never thought he would find such a long career. Quote, on the evening Tom wrapped his role, he characteristically left without ceremony or niceties, simply walking out of the door, uh, Stewart revealed. As it closed, I quietly, I said quietly to Brent Spiner and Jonathan Frakes, and there goes someone I think we shall never hear of again. It gives me nothing but pleasure that Tom has proven me so wrong, close quote. Hardy has reportedly proved difficult to work with, allegedly causing friction between himself and Mad Max Fury Road co-star Charlize Theron that resulted in her feeling unsafe while filming the sci-fi hit. Quote, I spent several weeks on that movie where I wouldn't know what was going to come my way, and that's not necessarily a nice thing to feel when you're on your job, she said. Uh, it was a little bit like walking on thin ice, close quote. Uh, so interesting stuff there. I haven't really heard all. I, I heard the Mad Max Fury Road stuff. I heard that one too, but, you know, but never with Stewart though. Well, never the Stewart talking about Tom Hardy. Very interestingly, although hey, uh, Patrick, I feel the same way about Nemesis. I just watched it for the first time the other week. Uh, that movie sucks. Yeah, that movie is not good. Inter- interesting stuff there though. Yeah. But definitely give a check out to the memoir when it comes out. Yeah, the memoir sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, and then we're switching over to some DC news and specifically some Peacemaker season two news. Let's go. Uh, so reading again, article from IGN.com. It says, "Quote: DC Studios co-CEO James Gunn has confirmed that Peacemaker season two will be part of the new DCU, despite season one seemingly not being canon." Gunn was asked on threads, uh, side note, that's the Instagram equivalent of Twitter, uh, if the highly anticipated new season of Peacemaker will be canon after the co-CEO confirmed its star John Cena would be reprising his role in the DCU. He was also asked if this continuity or lack of will be addressed, to which Gunn replied, yes and yes. Confusion comes as TV shows, TV show seasons usually take place in the same universe, of course, but Peacemaker season one is aligned with the DC extended universe, which began with Zack Snyder's Man of Steel and will end with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Uh, the new DCU will kick off with Creature Commandos and Superman Legacy. And Gunn has previously said work on Peacemaker season two will begin immediately after the latter. Things get a little complicated, however, as this wasn't announced as part of DCU's Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters, which are which includes an additional four films and four TV shows. Close quote. Well, not super shocked by that, actually. No, I mean, they're, they're kind of moving away from the old DC movies and the old casting and what have you. And Well, uh, the silhouettes of the Justice League, as we knew them from the previous films, show up at the end of Season 1 of Peacemaker. Spoiler alert, but hey. Yeah, so, I mean, it does make perfect sense to do that. And obviously, Gunn wants to forge his own legacy, but a Peacemaker is a character he created. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. The only one that's going to be questioned about how they want to reintroduce him is Jaime Reyes. Yeah. But they're going to do that as well. Well, supposedly, Jaime Reyes, the uh, from what I saw the other day, the actor that plays him is going to keep playing the character. Just they haven't said yet whether they're going to address or uh, and uh, I don't. Want to, I almost want to say admonish, but. Uh, 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 Acknowledge. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, if they want to, if they're going to acknowledge what happened in the movie. Um, I, since I have seen the movie, did like it. Um, I could see them doing it, like but maybe loosely, not like directly mentioning anything. Yeah. Not mentioning anything, but like, oh, hey, there was that one time. Yeah, this thing happened. Yeah, they could definitely mention it a little bit, but it, you know what they could also do is he can wind up teaming up with somebody as well too. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a lot of different ways they could go. Yeah. With with the character Jaime Reyes, and that would yeah. be amazing to see because I thought I thought 
with everything going on, that movie flew under a lot of radars. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was way better than I expected. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not lastly, we got an update of sorts on the Community movie from Dan Harmon, of course, the series creator. Uh, and boy, am I fucking excited for this thing. Although this interview uh, makes me a little nervous. Mm. Uh, so reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, few TV shows have a fan base as dedicated as communities. Uh, so, uh, so Dan Harmon is understandably feeling some pressure about its upcoming movie. Harmon opened up about that in a recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter, saying that the community fan base, quote, has been the most supportive of me, all told, and has endured the most for supporting me, close quote. Uh, He goes on to say, quote, because I wasn't thinking about them when I was feuding with Chevy Chase, Harmon said, only later did I realize that I'd hurt these people who didn't want to think about me as some kind of odd self-styled Kubrick. They cared about Greendale, this world that I created, and suddenly they were getting this unadulterated side of me, which was not fair to them, close quote. Community's loyal community, of course, is what got it to its long-coveted six seasons in a movie, which became the fans' rallying cry all through its sixth and final season on Yahoo in 2015. After years of waiting, Peacock finally ordered the movie in 2022, and Harmon said he hates to say how terrified, quote, terrified I am to do it wrong because there's a part of me that knows that the uh, that, that fear cannot possibly result in a good thing, close quote. Uh, He goes on to say, quote, you're not going to get anywhere doing an impression of what you think you should do or what you think they want. But I really don't want to do it wrong. And it is truly terrifying, he added. Uh, But then I'm holding on to the hope that being honest with myself about how scared I am is at least a way to break the cycle. Close quote. So understandably a little nervous on his part just because it's it's a fan favorite show it's a favorite show of mine i watched it mm-hmm. uh during 2020 on netflix and then the final season on uh no it was still netflix uh at the time uh you know loved every minute of it one of my favorite shows really bummed it took me to, as long to watch it as i did but it, it's a it, i understand his nervous and his fear of like living up to fans expectations because it's one of those things that like we saw with the star wars prequels you see with any of these these franchises that that take some time to do either the next story or fill in the story of what happened before you've already seen and and when you have such an extended time you have time to build up in your own head you know, some fan fiction or some fan speculation or whatever you want to call it of like, oh, I think X, Y, and Z happened to these characters. And if it doesn't live up to what the person has in their head, it happened can lead to some interesting results to say the least. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand his fear. Yeah, I could understand it too. I mean, community has definitely left an impression Mm -hmm. on everybody that's caught, that's caught it. And I know with the drama there, uh, you know, once you get past that, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic show. Uh, there's also some other anxiety he's got. Uh, the article goes on to say, quote, the other thing giving him anxiety, he said, is getting everyone together to shoot once the SAG after strike is resolved. The appeal of community, uh, movie he added, he admitted is seeing most of the whole gang in the same place again. And while that doesn't include chase who isn't returning, it does include Donald Glover. There were plenty of questions over whether or not Glover would return for the movie as his schedule has been well booked since he broke out in community and he's currently working on Disney's Lando Star Wars movie. But Harmon revealed that they had planned to shoot in Atlanta so he could be a part of it and Glover was stoked, although he he acknowledged that it might be tough to get everyone's schedules in order once again. Quote, by the time we can re-coordinate, what are the odds that everyone's schedule is going to go uh, going to once again align, he said. 
the community movie was close to shooting before the writer's strike began, Joel McHale said back in June. Harmon, per a larger Hollywood Reporter profile that ran last week, still needs to finish the script with one of his former community writing partners, Andrew Guest, so it's likely he's focused on that in the meantime, close quote. Can't go wrong with that. I mean, no. obviously, you know, the strike is holding up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it, and I'm almost afraid it's going to turn into uh, an Italian job type, uh, type situation. Gotcha. Because the cast of the Italian job has wanted to do a sequel since the Italian job came out. Mm-hmm. They're all down to do it. They've all said to each other, we will do a sequel. But none of their schedules have lined up ever since to do a sequel to that movie. Which talent job, good movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I'm almost afraid that's what this is gonna turn into because Donald Glover, obviously very popular and, and very busy. The same for Donald Glover and and everybody else on the, on that show. That just I'm afraid it's gonna turn into this and we're never gonna get that movie. Well, I mean that's the problem you're gonna have. I mean, obviously everybody's gonna have so much work getting flooded to them mm-hmm. after the strike is fully, fully done, I should say. So it's gonna be tough to see, but obviously if they wanna make it happen, they'll yeah. make it happen. Yep. And let's go close this show out the only way we know how to, and that is comic book picks for this week. Man, a loaded lineup at the shops. Pad, why don't you kick us off? Got a couple things, uh, two of which are from the, the folks over at Marvel, one of them uh, from the folks over at, uh, I believe it's Dynamite, is the folks who do the, the James, James Bond, Bond yes, book. Yes, they are. Dynamite. Uh, the two from Star Wars, first of which is Star Wars, The High Republic, Shadows of Starlight, issue number one from from Who? Charles Saul. Oh, there uh, we go. Hearing a lot of good stuff about this. Uh, the description of this, though. Who lived? Who died? Answers to the greatest catastrophe of the golden age of the Jedi. Little has been revealed about the year following the fall of Starlight Beacon and the ultimate triumph of the Nihil. Until now, the Jedi Council, reeling from its losses, has it recalled its Jedi Knights from across the galaxy and instituted the emergency measures. Master Yoda has been uh, has a plan to save the order and the galaxy but he must touch the dark side to achieve it and the consequences will be grave indeed. Mm. Super excited for this. Like I've said before, Star Wars The High Republic has been some of the best storytelling done in Star Wars that's not done by Dave Filoni. Uh, highly recommend all of that, and I've been hearing great things with that uh, that uh, new one from Charles Soule, so definitely give that one to check out. Also from Star Wars this week, Darth Vader issue number not, uh, 39 from Greg Pak. This one continuing the dark, dro- uh, the dark droids, which the description of this says, The Crucible of Hate, a dark droid's tie-in. The droid Scourge has taken over one of Darth Vader's closest allies and seizes one of Mustafar's greatest weapons. To survive, Vader must finally reclaim his control over the Force by exploring his deepest hatred, featuring the answer to the terrifying question, who does Darth Vader hate more than anyone else in the galaxy? Hmm. Super interested to see that because, hey, Darth Vader, you cannot go wrong with that. Uh, You can never go wrong with Darth. Uh, and then from the folks over at uh, Dynamite Comics, as I mentioned, uh, you got 007 uh, issue for King and Country, issue number five from Philip K. Johnson. And the description of this one, real simple. Uh, the best defense is a double O fence. Hmm. No more hiding. It's time for 007 and 002 to take the fight to Merimdian. Uh, Marim, uh, so super excited to read this one because, listen, I love me some 007. Yeah, the series definitely is picking up a lot of steam. Yeah. Hearing a lot of good things about that book. So for me, let's start over the DC Universe. A couple of great books out this week. Birds of Prey number two. This has been a really fun series. Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero are on the book. And this has been one that if you haven't jumped into, the team lineup is awesome. It definitely has a lot of cool intrigue going on. The mission at hand is wild. 
And this one definitely keeps the high pace going. It's a very, very fun read. Also from DC, Batman 138, the Gotham War rages on in one of the most personal issues that they have done thus far in this. Mm. So the conflict between Batman and Catwoman is really escalating to the point where Batman, in my opinion, crosses a line. Oh, boy. And it's a big one. And the fallout, like I said, the artwork is just phenomenal by Jorge Jimenez, and Chip Zdarsky is just absolutely crushing it with how he's setting everything up here. A lot of moving parts, though, and a very surprised figure has entered the fray. Is he behind all this? I don't know, but like I say, what you're going to be taking away is uh, the persona that is Zen Ara, that is Batman's backup one, that I, I have mixed feelings about from the comics, Right, is in play and a move happens, and there's some just amazing artwork to cap it off about the direction he's going into. This is like I say, the Dark Knight has never looked more fractured, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, in this kind of sense, and is really going to push to, the le- to uh, uncharted water here that I don't think he's ready to deal with the consequences of his actions. But it's a great story, nevertheless. Definitely make sure you're checking out the Gotham War. Also, Blue Beetle number two, Josh Trillo and uh, Adrian Gutierrez has put on some great work with this. Like we t- mentioned about Blue Beetle, this is why. Mm-hmm. Like this series is definitely doing some really cool things. So you definitely want to make sure you keep your eyes out for that at the shops. Over on the Marvel side of things, Marvel has got one of the books that a lot of fans are very curious about. And that's Gods, number one. It's the new Jonathan Hickman book. There's been a lot of hype around this one. And waiting to see the reaction to pay it off. I haven't got a chance to check it out yet. But I really am waiting to hear the reaction from fans. Like, this one has had a ton of hype behind it. So you definitely want to make sure you keep your ears out and eyes off for that this week. Because this is going to be a, a, like I say, anytime Jonathan Hickman's writing at Marvel, it's always an event. Mm-hmm. So you want to definitely keep that in mind. Also, perfect for Halloween season is the Ghost Rider annual. I mean, it's Ben Piercy, and it's Ghost Rider versus the Hood. Hmm. I'm in. Like, pff, I don't need that much to uh, get motivated to watch that. He usually doesn't. No, I'm sorry. Like, what Ben Piercy's been doing with Ghost Rider is absolutely awesome. A lot of people like have been just raving about the series, and rightfully so, because it's that damn good. And his X-Force stuff is also on point as well, too. The Fall of X is really taking shape now, especially heading into New York Comic Con, where there's a lot of things happening uh, involving the Krakoan era that we're going to be hearing about the next big thing panel on that Saturday. But if you checked out the Nerd Initiative uh, preview show about New York Comic Con, you already knew about that. And Plus, we also have a great blog up right now for that as well. So... If you need more information about what is going on there, that's definitely the place to go check. Like I say, there's a lot of things happening as well. Oh, that entire weekend is going to be absolutely out of control. So can't wait to get to New York. Also, comic-wise, a lot of stuff coming from Image this week. The Enfield Gang Massacre, that is a story that's been getting wilder and wilder. And if you haven't jumped in on that, you definitely need to make sure you check that out. The Sacrificers has been a, a story by Rick Remender, who just signed, a, I believe, an exclusive deal with Image coming up. Huh. So got a lot of great stories that he's doing right now. So to check this one out, has been getting rave reviews. Also, uh, I would say my 1A, 1B picks of the week. The first one has been Transformers. Mm-hmm. This is Daniel Warren Johnson. This is the official kickoff to the Energon Universe, Skybound Entertainment, Image Comics. Holy crap, is this good. It's, it's, it lives up to the expectation without question. 
the Energon universe is alive and well, and man, what an exclamation point they put it with this issue to kick off everything. So if you've been reading Void Rivals, you knew the Transformers were back. How this is going to lead into G.I. Joe is going to be a really interesting setup, too. We do know that there is a panel at New York Comic Con that will be definitely highly, highly checked out, as it should, because there's a lot of stuff happening there. Uh, with the tempo moving forward. And Skybound's putting out some amazing books. If you haven't been checking out what they've been doing lately, fantastic stuff. The Midnight Show from Dark Horse Comics. This is one it really caught my attention. I know uh, Lauren from the Nerd Initiative Bullpen has been uh, covering this. And like I say, it really looks like an interesting story going on here. Colin Bunn is writing, and you know there's definitely going to be a little horror element mixed in there. So super cool stuff there. Also... The 1B pick of the week, too. Uh, we talked about this on Nerd Initiative's turn of page last night, and it lives up to the hype. The Devil That Wears My Face, number one. David Pepos, Alex Cormack. Pat, I know you will not read this because it's horror. Hell no. But I would say this. I could see you reading this because it's it has the horror element because we're, we're dealing with a little bit of exorcism stuff. But it has a little action going on. It has a very cool vibe to it. There's high drama mixed in. It's not your average story. So you definitely want to go check it out by Mad Cave Studios. A lot of really cool things happen in there. And I'm telling you what, this is a story you definitely don't want to sleep on in any which way, shape, or form. And if you need more information about that, check out Nerd Initiative YouTube Turnip page. We have the episode up right now on the front page of ODPH Podcast. Com, so you definitely can go check that out. And like I say, there's a lot of big win to be had there with that issue. Like, I seriously, I can't stress enough. I think that was probably the most highly rated book that we've done uh, between the entire panel of Nerd Initiative comic reviewers. Like, everybody has just been raving about this, and rightfully so. It's a fantastic read. Also, to close out, too, Boom Studios, Ranger Academy. So a lot of stuff going on. Power Rangers 30th anniversary continues on. There's so much to be had at the comic shops this week. So always remember to go to your LCS, check it out. And, you know, if you need more recommendations, obviously 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, nerdinitiative.com. We are dropping reviews for you. Everybody from Marty Stoke to Matt and Lauren from Hopski News, Derek from Paperweight Entertainment, Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Tom, and yours truly. Always giving you guys the recommendations you need to make sure you're picking up the best of the best at the comic shops each and every week. So that said, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That is it for this week. So for the one and only Battle One J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.